Hi, welcome to Lights, Camera, Author. I'm Jim Juno, and this is the show, the podcast, where we talk about uh, talk with authors who write books about Hollywood, movies, television, and music, anything that strikes our fancy. And I have with me tonight a very special guest. His name is Taylor Haygood, and his new book has just come out. It is called String Bean, and it is the life and murder of a country legend welcome taylor or should Thank i call you, you much. should i call you dr haygood because you are you are a teacher a professor down at florida atlantic correct i am but taylor will do just fine thank you i appreciate that and we won't talk about uh, florida atlantic in the ncaa tournament this year okay so, <laughs> <laughs> but that really put us on the map i have to say <laughs> well i said string bean whose real name was David Aikman. Now, for those of you who are of a certain age, you would remember String Bean from the show Hee Haw. This guy was really big. He was one of the biggest country music stars around in the early 70s. Well, actually, longer than that, going back to the 60s. Um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, tragedy strikes. So let me ask you, what, what got you uh, interested in this story? Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm so honored to be uh, on this podcast. It's just a pleasure to do so, and thank you so much. Uh, I'm just uh, honored to do it. Well, thank and you. I appreciate, I appreciate that. that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate this uh, question very much. Uh, you know, how do you go? How does anybody? It's kind of an interesting question in a way. How does anybody come to the writing, I guess, of somebody else's life? Uh, it, in a way, I don't, not to get too mystical about it, but mm -hmm. I, I think uh, one of the things I think anybody who writes a biography um, kind of, I think at some point you have a question about how is it that I became the person who wrote this story? That, you know, are there factors or forces that are beyond, I don't know, something that I'm conscious of? But what I am conscious of, I guess I will say, is that when I was a kid, I, I always loved old country music. I love Jimmy Rogers and uh, Hank Williams and Patsy Cline, all those singers. Mm -hmm. And I was really fascinated with country music. And when I was about 12 years old, I was looking at a book on the history of country music. And I, I ran across a picture of String Bean. And of course, he has a very unusual anatomy. Uh, and in case the, you know, to give a picture of that for anybody who's listening, the, uh, the, his, he had a very long torso and very short legs. <laughs> or at least that's what it looked like. That so was he the had costume, a, yes. <laughs> that was the costume. So he had a very long uh, shirt, and later on, he actually got his pants from Little Jimmy Dickens. Uh, so <laughs> they were the little short jeans were connected to the long shirt, and Stream Bean was probably about six three, six five. There are some differing uh, reckonings of that, but anyway, I saw a picture of him in this book, and I thought, "Wow, who is this guy? <laughs> thought, what is this all about?" And um, not too long after that, my parents, uh, I kind of, I guess, talked them into taking me to the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville and Tennessee. And uh, there I saw his banjo. And I, I had already been really interested in the banjo. And they had bought me one from Sears, uh, Sears catalog. And uh, but when I saw his in the Country Music Hall of Fame, I thought, wow, this is really an instrument that's totally different from anything I've seen before. And I heard them and I realized it was this guy. 
And my parents were talking in the background, and I heard them mentioning about his being murdered. And so then uh, years later, I kind of went off and did, you know, grew, was growing up and so forth. And then later on, uh, about seven years ago, um, I his a picture of him just popped up on the on the phone, a video of Stream Bean. And I thought, you know, I would like to read a book about him. <laughs> and there really wasn't one. There was one that had been written in 1975. It was not a biography. It was uh, just a, a story of the investigation uh, of the, you know, his after his murder. Didn't really have that much about his life or even the trial that followed. But uh, it had been written and published, you know, in a small run by a uh, reporter, basically, uh, in Nashville in 1975, but there really wasn't a biography. And when I when there wasn't one, I thought, well, I guess I'll be the person who writes it. There you go. Yeah. And now I, I'm going to ask you, I've noticed your accent and it's a little bit like mine. Are you you're from Tennessee originally? Uh, I was born in North Mississippi. North Mississippi. Okay. But it's all it's at the Tennessee line. <laughs> okay. I'm from Kentucky originally. So I hear... Ah. So you may hear me say y'all. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Kentucky, if I may ask? Louisville. Ah, okay. And it's pronounced Louisville. Don't don't go Louisville or whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. But the uh, now, but Stringbean, you mentioned his his murder. This this was some Nashville for people who aren't aware of this. This had as big of an effect on the Nashville area as I would say the Manson murders had in Los Angeles because Nashville Nashville was a small, close-knit, especially the country music people, they were a close-knit family. Mm -hmm. and, and afterwards, all the security systems came into, came into play. Yes, sir, absolutely. And of course, Dream Bean, by the way, was from the eastern part of Kentucky. He was from Jackson County originally. Um, but you're right. Uh, the really, it was probably the most sensational case, the murder, most devastating murder, probably in the entire 20th century in Nashville. Um, and you're right. Before that time, uh, the country music artists were really pretty accessible. Uh, you had these famous hangouts, you know, in Nashville. Tootsie's was probably the most famous oh, yeah. one. But you know, a lot people could go. There was a lot of access to the country music stars and. And there was this close-knit uh, kind of family feel, I think, about the, especially in the industry, but even Nashville, I, I think it didn't think of itself as a, a big city prior to this time. But you're right, these murders, uh, somehow it, it just, uh, it burst the bubble, you know, and suddenly uh, it felt like this was a big city with big city problems. And you're right, the uh, many of the country stars, uh, you know, whether it was Buck Owens or Porter Wagner, some of these really big stars, they they started setting up security systems. The, the walls went up around the houses. And I think in general, I think there was a lot of fear. And, and you know, the, about right in the middle of the murder investigations, this has been sort of lost in the shuffle sometimes, but right in the middle of that investigation, there was another murder committed uh, in Nashville, uh, Hank Snow's guitarist was a guy named James Widner or Widener. He was murdered and there was a lot of concern when it happened. This was maybe a, maybe a month later after the murders uh, of David and Estelle Aikman Streambeam. Uh, there was a lot of concern that maybe there was a serial killer who was just out after um, country music stars, but 
it turned out not to be connected, but that was a real concern. And, and it just really uh, uh, ratcheted up the fear and concern at that time uh, going into 1974. And, you know, that was an, it was an interesting time anyway, you know, as part of the research for this, I, I basically read every issue of the Nashville, Tennessean newspaper from November the 11th, 1973, until about November 14th or something, 1974. I didn't read every word, mm -hmm. but I really, I wanted to immerse myself in that moment. And it was a very interesting moment. Uh, it was a time when Metro, which was a fairly new organization for the police force and the city government, it was really a countywide thing. Uh, that was a that was a new um, kind of newish development, and there were issues, drug issues, and and so forth in the area. And then going through 1974, uh, you know, articles about string bean would be on the front page with articles about Watergate. So it was a really interesting moment, you know. And it also, I mean, from reading your book, I I had not realized this, but the Metro Police Force was not a big force. Well, first off, uh, when the, when the bodies were discovered by his by his best friend, uh, also a country music star named uh, Grandpa Jones, um, he called the Nashville was it Nashville Police, I believe. Yes, and sir. Then, the State Highway Patrol came out first, but yes. Yeah, and they're not, and they weren't, and uh, it wasn't in their jurisdiction. They, they contacted Metro, and right. what surprised me was that the the Metro Police did not have a big murder unit or homicide no. unit no sir they uh they really did not that was not very well developed they actually had to make their own um you know kits uh their own uh investigation kits they were not those were not provided it was very low tech kind of a situation uh just to clarify metro is includes nashville the 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 turf problem became because ridgetop tennessee where the murders were uh committed was right on the the, the county line um of davidson county and robertson county so that was that was kind of where the problem came in but yes they that's very small really very small kind of force headed to cover a huge area the whole county davidson uh county so it was a really uh a problem you know for that right and uh, as you say in your book i mean the, they did not have a a huge force, especially for a double murder, uh, right. as as heinous as this murder was. Um, I'm going to give away some background here on the murder. Uh, on that night, the killers, the killers who were in the they, this is how, how, I guess you want to say friendly. The Nashville area was. There was no security system, at all, in String Bean's house. All you had to do was. Drive up the driveway, drive up a gravel driveway, up to the house, knock on the door, and String Bean would answer. Um, I don't know how often that happened, but to, that night, these two guys drove up, op un uh, broke in the door, looked for money, thinking they were going to find a, a bunch of money in there, and they don't find anything. Uh, him and his wife, Aikman and his wife, come home. He has a gun on him. He comes in. Does he shoot at them and miss? Is that what the the theory is? Is that that's the theory? Yeah, it's you know trying to go through that murder night is, is pretty pretty tough. You're right. There's really not there was not really a 
security system. Um, there was one of uh, Stream Bean's country music, fellow country music figures, Grand Ole Opry stars, um, was saying, they did say in a police report, claimed that there was a, a piece of string, string put up yeah. on the cattle gate, ironically, string being, but it, it's, uh, but that was never really necessarily established officially by in the police records. But, you know, that may have been a giveaway for string being. The official uh, kind of story is, yeah, that string being came in shooting. He did carry a, a 22 uh, revolver. Uh, and he, you know, he was known for that. And he, the story is that he came in shooting and that may have happened. It's a little bit unclear. One of the things I found really digging into the story is that the standard story, the standard story is that String Bean came home on that Saturday night, November the 10th, 1973 from the Grand Ole Opry, he and his wife, and they drove a Cadillac. Basically they would buy a Cadillac every year and new one and just record they would trade in and, and just record the uh write down the mileage at the end of the year for tax purposes that was their <laughs> thing but anyway they pulled up there and that uh stream bean knew somehow that there was somebody in there and he came in shooting and then the shootout happened and it they happened to the murderers happened to kill uh estelle and david uh, estelle's murder was especially heinous because yes she, she ran for her life they shot yes. her, and as she's laying on the ground begging for her life, the killers shoot her in the head. And uh, uh, absolutely, and it's execution style, point blank in the head, yeah. and that that part is is unquestionable. And Stream Bean was shot only once, right through the heart. Um, and you know, but that's exactly right. Yes, and she was she was out in the yard, and uh, it was it was very very difficult as far as kind of the actual details. What I found was that those are not, they're not quite as um, clear cut as they seem. A lot of the, so a lot of the details were based on uh, one of the murderers named Doug Brown uh, in when he, you know, when he was in jail awaiting the trial, his, his lawyer was a guy named Joe Binkley. He was kind of, an, by the way, the lawyers are very interesting characters. Yeah, they're, they're like something out of a John Grissom novel, you know? Yeah, they're, I mean, it, that's crazy in itself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so the guy who represented Doug Brown was the highest paid lawyer and defense attorney in the entire city of Nashville. His name was Joseph Binkley or Joe Binkley. And, you know, he, he had this sort of trick he would do where he would get a, a confession basically from someone and he would get that put in the newspaper and that was his way of getting the the defendant's voice into the courtroom later without the defendant actually taking the stand now that is really what most of the case was based on he the story he told was as you say that you know stream bean and uh surprised him and his cousin whose name was john brown and he came stream bean came in shooting they had a shootout and according to Doug, it was John who did the shooting and killing. So he was trying to frame his his cousin. Uh, it's not a laughing matter, but uh, but you know that story is told a certain way. That's not exactly the way the story was told when he called the Nashville, Tennessee, and only a few days after the murder, he claimed at that time that his partner had killed Stream Bean with Stream Bean's own gun, which the story kind of changed later on without giving too much away. Um, but. You know, that was kind of what the case was built on, built on. And it was a kind of an interesting thing that, you know, the case, basically the case was argued based on one killer trying to frame the other one in a newspaper article. 
So trying to nail down the details, it turns out there was another cousin, actually, um, and there are rumors that that cousin may have been present. So it's uh, when you get into the details, uh, I guess what I found was that um, maybe what a lot of people know is that murder is never simple. You know, it's always messy. And what what really surprised you after doing all the research? What 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 kind of caught caught your eye, or caught you off guard? Uh, I think probably the fact that um, probably actually that probably the fact that the standard story that people have known for decades. Because let me tell you, as I'm sure you know, a lot of people know the story of Stream Bean. I have been talk about surprised. I've been actually very surprised. Uh, just being uh, really across the country, I can mention String Bean's name, and people know, yep, he was murdered, he had money in the house, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, by the way, I did have one of the things to say about the money in the house, but, you know, that story is very well known, and and it's known a certain way, but that standard story, what I found was that, that you know, one of the defense attorneys, the one who represented John Brown, had a totally different idea about what happened that night and I, I understand that's his job i do but it's um when you really look at the case he was he was really poking a lot of holes in the in the case of the state and it, it kind of looks you know it, it starts to look a little bit different because one of the cousins was invested in the country music industry in certain ways and and it all looks a little bit closer together uh, when you look at it but i want to say one other thing about the money a lot of the the argument is that the that those murders were committed uh, with money as the motivation. David and Estelle Ekman had come of age during the Great Depression. They didn't trust banks, and they, they did carry cash around. That's absolutely the truth. But there was a wad, a big wad of $3,000 on String Bean's body the morning after the murders and 2000 on her pinned to her bra. Uh, meanwhile, um, the question of where money was, a lot of people claim that there was money in food cans in the freezer. The uh, current owner, actually, of Stream Bean's house, turns out there's a cave on the property. And um, this is a well-known fact, but, uh, the, you know, there are a lot of places in that cave. There's been some speculation along those lines that maybe there was money there, but, you know, none of that money was ever discovered. So, you know, you kind of wonder where did that go? Now, part of the string being lore is that decades later, uh, and then a couple of decades later, uh, that the owner at the house at the time uh, found a loose brick in the fireplace and mm -hmm. that there was money gnawed, you know, maybe as much as $20,000 that had been gnawed by rats. Uh, that may be a true story. Uh, there was one of the investigators of the in the case had come out and verified the story, but there's also, if you kind of talk around with people, there's also some doubt about that. And, and you know, one of the things that's been pointed out is that that fireplace by people who, you know, again, by, by people who are very connected with the house, will say it that way, that fireplace gets very hot. Uh, the idea that that money could have lasted that long and, and so forth is kind of maybe a little bit suspect. So there's I guess maybe one of the things as far as, I guess I have several things that were a surprise. One of those was that with just about every aspect of String Bean's life, there are about three or four different versions of it. And there were, there are people who argue things, even down to the date of his birth. Uh, there's a family Bible that has his date recorded one year. 
then there are other years. Uh, the I finally was able to get the official birth certificate from the state of Kentucky. That would seem to settle it. But I'll tell you, Jim, just about every turn, um, everything from whether or not String Bean was playing baseball originally with Bill Monroe to any number of things, there are just all these different stories. It's very, very hard to know for certain what the truth is about a lot of things about his life. You know, the biggest insult I thought of the whole thing was that, you know, okay, during that time, Tennessee did not have capital punishment. I think, uh, it, I think it was, a re, yeah, you know where I'm going. Um, it was reinstated in 2000, but uh, when the murders occur, they didn't have a death penalty. And although one of the, one of the cousins died in prison, yes, sir. The, other, the other one was paroled. I'm sorry, let I mean, this was a monster who who killed two people in cold blood, one execution style. And yeah. they, I mean, it, 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 he gave the old, I found Jesus in prison. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, he can keep you company in your cell, you know? But <laughs> when you, when you, when you found that out, what was your thoughts? Well, yes. So this is, uh, this is the thing, right? Um, no matter how you, no matter what the details, uh, you know, whatever the, the sort of details are, it's definitely the case that, you know, both of the people who ultimately were convicted again, don't want to give too much away about the story, but this was fairly well known. Both of the people who were convicted were absolutely at the scene of the crime, whatever, whatever roles they played, they were in it. And it's absolutely true. And, you know, and it was a brutal murder. And they were very nasty people. They just were. And in fact, in the process of writing the book, I'll tell you, probably the most difficult thing about writing the book was trying to put these, all these stories together. Because String Bean's life story, the biography, in most biographies end when somebody dies. But this one's just getting going. And in some ways, it's hard to... Both both sides of the story take meaning from each other, you know, and but trying to keep that all going was a, was a real challenge. But one of the things that really hit me was it was such a joy, really, to write about String Bean's life, life. And it was so painful to write about the murder. And especially when the Browns, John and Doug Brown, come in, came into it and Roy and Charlie and the rest of them, all the Browns who were who were involved in it. Four of them were originally arrested. They are just so ugly. They were. They were into all kind of criminal activity. They were just, it just makes you feel bad. You know, it's, they were just bad. They were just evil. And really the contrast between how evil they were and how really innocent string bean was <laughs> in Estelle. I mean, it's, it's the, the contrast. It's like a great tragedy, you know, and it's, it's terrible. And everybody was outraged and they were terrible. Now you're right over the course of decades, there was a church in Nashville called, is a church called Cornerstone Church. And the minister of that actually was, a, was in prison for murder in his 20s. And then when he became minister of this place, he started uh, uh, hiring ex-convicts and so forth. And, the, and he was one of the lead people and other people who said, well, this John Brown, the one who was alive, he's had a change. He's uh, found, as you say, he's found Jesus and he's become different. Now, his wife, by the way, was the accountant at the Cornerstone Church. But um, that was that was the the argument, and um, you know, I, I guess for myself, I don't want to speak to I can't speak personally about someone's conscience, mm -hmm. so I, I wouldn't want to do mm -hmm. that. But 
But but I will say this. I'll say this. This is not myself talking. This is just talking about how the city saw it. It was very interesting that, you know, you got to 2014. When you had all these parole hearings, there would be these friends of Stream Bean and Estelle, people like Whisper and Bill Anderson, Porter Wagner, um, Gene Shepard, Opry Stars, and they would say, Mac Wiseman, and they were very vocal. They said, you, this is this was too awful, you know, and it just, the, the punishment has to be served. But what happened over the course of time is that Nashville changed. A lot of people moved into Nashville. It's changed tremendously uh, since, say, the 1980s, uh, mid-1990s. It's a totally different place now. A lot of people moved from out of, not only out of Nashville, but out of the South, out of, not even in the South, uh, not in the state. And a, and a whole different way of thinking uh, arose. And, and really, John Brown, the story of John Brown became one of redemption in, people, in a lot of uh, the media presentation. The media also presented the other side of it, but really the city ended up divided all over again in twenty by twenty fourteen when the parole uh, took place. There were people who felt that this was a great triumph of uh, rehabilitation, and but there were a lot of people in Nashville that felt the pain all over again. Is he still alive? John Mr. Brown, Brown is still alive. John Brown, yes. Now Doug Brown died in the same prison that. The fictional Hannibal Lecter was on his way to being put into in Tennessee, but John Brown is still alive. He's paroled, and um, you know. And I've heard. Listen, I, you know, I, I tried to speak to, with him. I, I wanted to try to get his side of the story, and uh, I wasn't able to do. That. I didn't succeed in doing that. Um, I have met people who claim to know him and say that you know it really is true that he's had a change. But so you know, again, it's not my place to speak to someone's conscience but um you know it's mm -hmm. i can tell i can say that it was it was something that i think there are a lot of people in nashville that are still feel very uh bad about that uh, i will i think he ought to be in jail but hey you know that's, you know, that's yeah, yeah uh, right that's there are a lot me. of people who are there um yeah because like like i mentioned earlier i i remember when this happened and because my parents were big country music fans Mm -hmm. um, Hank Williams, um, yeah. I mean, old country music fans, Porter Wagner. That's you know, every Saturday we had to watch Porter Wagner show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but um, and he we watched Hee Haw, and yeah. it was like it was like a death in the family, right? You know when that happened, um, and people now I I would say it's it would be comparable to. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to wish. I would, let's say somebody big in country music nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be it would be earth shaking. Even you know even more so now, with the internet and everything like that. You know, I I compare it to like to maybe when Michael Jackson died, or when yeah. um, or when um, Elvis Presley died. You know, they weren't murdered, of course, but it was a sudden, a uh, ripping of the uh, of the cultural, uh, fabric of America. Yeah, well, and I think especially because really Stream Bean, this was somebody who had no enemies. This was somebody who who went through uh, a Great Depression, World War, uh, atomic bomb. He, you know, went through Korea, you know, Korean War, Cold War, Vietnam, all these, all this incredible turmoil right in the middle of the 20th century. All these times, and all he did was make people happy yeah he played a banjo he was a singer he was a comic 
Uh, he And, you know, from Hee Hall, he had that thing he did, the letters from home, and he would say, I've, I've got this letter right here next to my heart, heart, heart. <laughs> yeah, he would, yeah, right, exactly. He would reach all around his body looking for it. And he was somebody who, despite all kinds of trouble and, and all kinds of change and, and challenges, he was somebody who you could tune in, as you say, on a Saturday night, whether it was a Porter Widener show or uh, Hee Haw or what, or the Grand Ole Opry, and he made you feel good. He made you feel good. Yeah. And that was that was what he really brought to the table. And and I think especially, and that's what singers do. You know, you think of any of the, the great country singers or any genre, they make you feel good. And but I think especially Stream Benny was a gentle person. He, he was, you know, he had this outrageous costume, but in fact, he was very understated, very quiet. Uh didn't have a bad word to say about anybody. You never, in all the research I did, I never, I, one person kind of had a little bit of a problem with him was Jim Denny, who was a Opry guy who had a bad record at one point. Ernest Tubb wanted to shoot him because he was <laughs> such a problem. But other than that, that that's it. Nobody disliked Stream Bean and Estelle Aitman, and she was with him all the time. And I think that just, it made it, that made it even worse because the Browns were so, ugly and the Aikmans really were just so innocent they were they were they lived in a they were not you know they lived in a tiny house they they I mean this house is so small and you know I've been inside it it's a tiny little house it's um it was just the two of them they lived so simply they were not ostentatious they had the Cadillac but that was it was really just a joke, you know, and they and they were so quiet. They they didn't get in trouble. You know, they never they were not tabloid people at all. They were just decent, everyday folks. And for them to be murdered. It was horrible. Well, the man's name is Taylor Haygood. The author's name is Taylor Haygood. And the book is String Bean, The Life and Murder of a Country Legend. Taylor, I want to thank you for being on Light the Camera Author tonight. Thank you very much. It's been a tremendous pleasure. Thank you.